Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. So straight out of college, I joined an organization called the CCO, Campus Ministry Organization. It's based in Pittsburgh, and it started uh, with summer training in Pittsburgh. And we took various courses and so forth, and there's one course on evangelism. And as part of that course, we were expected to go find someone, you know, form some relationship, and then uh, share the gospel with them. Uh, when I learned that that was our assignment, I, I uh, got a little nauseous. How in the world was I supposed to do that? Now, now that I think about it, maybe my being nauseous was really my trick, because uh, nothing, nothing gets a stranger's attention like <laughs> throwing up. You're like, well, oh, it's a little conversation starter. The trick, though, of course, is how to get that conversation steered towards the gospel. You know, I imagine like, oh, don't you wish there was a way to get rid of your sin as easy as I just got rid of my lunch? See? Or, uh, boy, I wish someone could save me from this awkward situation. Speaking of being saved. Anyway. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are nauseous. I do remember back when I was like five or six, Dad was all involved in this, this campaign, uh, this evangelistic campaign. And the key to its success, as I recall, was bumper stickers. Yeah, they, I still remember them. It's brown typeface on a yellow background. Uh, was the 70s. Uh, and in all, clap, or all capital letters, it said, I found it. Oh, and then there's an exclamation point. So it was, I found it, right? I put that in your bumper sticker. And the idea is people are going to be driving around town going, hmm, what do you think that guy found? Uh, their cat? Uh, Waldrop? Uh, wait, wait, hey, there's another car. 
Uh, they, he found it too. She found it. Boy, every, everyone, everyone seemed to have found something. I don't know what was even lost. And then you go into a grocery store, maybe, parking lot, and there's another car, and oh, just the person with the bumper sticker is putting the groceries in their grocery cart. So you go, hey, what exactly is it you found? Right? What they found was Jesus. And then what happens is you share the gospel, and another name goes in the book of life, and another bumper sticker goes on the back of their car. So it was, I don't remember having any sort of impact. Another uh, evangelistic uh, tool that I recall from particularly my days at, uh, with the CCO, uh, they, they did not push this, but it was popular at that time, something called uh, evangelism explosion. Is that something you've heard? Dr. Uh, D. D. James Kennedy. And it sort of provided you with this script for how to share the gospel. For for what was called, it's called contact evangelism, like just going out and sharing the gospel. What you do is you, you go to somebody on the street and you say, hey, if you were to die tonight, which let's stop right there, not really a great opener, but okay. Uh, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you of where you would go? And then, you know, you might... Well, I don't know. I'm thinking I'm go to heaven. Well, why is that? Well, you know, I'm a pretty decent person. Well, then you keep pushing and you talk about just how holy God is and how high standard, how high God's standards are. And the idea is you're supposed to sort of erode any confidence they might have that they are going uh, to, to heaven when they die. And so they may have been thinking about a million other things before you approach, but all of a sudden, in that moment, they are quite fixated on one thing, their inevitable death. And your goal, then, is to uh, assure them that the fact that they may be a decent person has nothing to do with it. Bad people don't get into heaven. Good people don't go into heaven. The only people who get into heaven are those who do so through Jesus Christ. Now is the idea. It is a, I mean, I find it a little strange. It's sort of like, hey, here's a ticking time bomb. Ooh, is that making you nervous? Well, I know the bomb squad, right? You're creating a crisis and then trying to resolve that crisis. Um, and I, it's interesting. I looked up evangelism explosion on, on Wikipedia, and apparently uh, in the 90s, they did some research, and the study concluded that people found their method confrontational. Uh, and so in the 90s, they underwent some, they revised it a little bit and uh, emphasized more uh, discipleship. Like, in other words, don't just uh, get them to pray the sinner's prayer and then get out of there. No, form a relationship, which is good. Uh, but it's interesting to me that that's when that happened because, well, first of all, that's when I was in campus ministry. And second of all, uh, a lot of ministries were doing some reevaluating during that period. A lot of uh, church growth movement stuff, a lot of evangelism uh, organizations, they were having to reinvestigate some of their methods and approaches because they weren't working. These things that were developed in the 70s and 80s weren't working in the 90s. And that, that's because, uh, I guess, uh, they found that people who were Generation X, 
people between, born between 1960 and 1980. Um, it wasn't working for them. For I guess for, since I was born in 1970, it was right smack dab in the middle. It wasn't working for people like me. People like me were getting nauseous by this stuff. So what the, and it turns out that those concerns were legitimate about the effectiveness of these things on people of my generation. Because when my generation left home, started families, started their careers, they stopped going to church. And in fact, if you look at, at attendance, church attendance in the United States, it's, there's a slight decline from when the 40s, the thing it peaks in the 50s, uh, there's a slight decline through the 90s. There's a bump up after 9-11, but that doesn't last. Uh, and then it really falls off. And then, of course, we had COVID. Where, boom, it was really falling off. And so, yeah, the laborers, the workers are few and are getting fewer. And if we are going to change that trend, we need to do some evangelizing. However, I think this passage exposes some of the misconceptions we have about what that task involves. Uh, it, it, it challenges some of the basic assumptions that are operating in a lot of those strategies uh, and methods that were presented as evangelistic tools. Now, evangelism contains the Greek word evangel, which means good news or gospel. Our passage says that Jesus is cruising around the villages, synagogues, proclaiming good news. He is doing some evangelizing. He's, and when he, as he's doing it, though, he sees like, this is a huge job. These people are lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. I, I, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So, fellas, you got to go out there and do it too. No doubt... I'm assuming Peter, at least, is Generation X. Uh, you know, they, they get a little nauseous at this idea, no doubt. But uh, Jesus says, that's okay, just relax. Uh, all you have to do is say, do you, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? No, Jesus does not tell him to say that. Jesus tells him to tell him that the kingdom of God is near. See, because ultimately, evangelism... Sharing the gospel is not about helping people feel secure about where they're going to go when they die. That's part of it, but that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is not us going to heaven. The heart of it is heaven coming to us. And so uh, Jesus is telling them to tell them to proclaim that heaven has come to us. Now, and the other thing is, uh, he's doing that here in chapter 9, uh, we think about the work of Jesus bringing salvation as what he does at the cross. But he's not at the cross. Already now, he's having them proclaim the kingdom. He's, he's having them spread the gospel. So it's not about us going to heaven. It's about heaven coming to us. It's that the kingdom has come. And how do we know that the kingdom has come? Well, in this passage, we know it's come because it's it's breaking out all over the place around Jesus, through Jesus. Because that's what kings do, right? They rule kingdoms. And so Jesus is bringing that rule uh, to Galilee. And, and uh, 
And how is it that the disciples are going to do that since they're not the king? Well, the king grants them authority. That's what the, that's what the text says. He gives them authority to proclaim the kingdom here on earth. Now, the text tells, tells us what they said. They, they basically say the same message, that the, God, the kingdom of God has come. Uh, but it also focuses on what they did, uh, which itself would probably be a pretty effective way of spreading the gospel, right? You, you're standing there, and you're witnessing these, these guys going around casting out demons and healing everybody. You're like, what is, what is this? What is happening? And they can say, look, kingdom of God has come. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when heaven comes down to us. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is the good news. The kingdom of God is going into effect. Now, I can imagine that would be a pretty effective pitch. Healing people, casting out demons, and just saying, hey, well, the kingdom of God's come. Um, and I think when we hear that, we're like, man, I, I wish we would do some stuff like that. Uh, I think that, that puts more butts in the seats. Uh, if people knew that this was a place where demons were being cast out, people were getting healed. I mean, we heard those prayer requests. Uh, those things weigh on us. Uh, and, but we don't. don't. Not, and not, not, not in that way. But I think... We shouldn't read this text as necessarily like a how-to manual. The exorcisms and healings uh, are less of a prescription for what we are called to do. They're not, it's not prescribing, this, this is how you do it. It's, it's more of a description of what it looks like when the kingdom shows up. Uh, I'm going to give you another illustration of somebody who I think is doing evangelism. And it, it's going to require you to stick with me for a bit uh, because it, you'll, it, you'll take, you'll, first of all, like, this is a dumb example, but it, trust me, it's a winner. <laughs> uh, I think, I think that the band U2 does a pretty good job of illustrating what this text says about what it means to bring good news. Um, and, and of course I do, because I'm Generation X, right? They, that's my band. Um, but, you know, they have been a band for over 40 years. They have put out 15 albums. And a number of songs on those albums are deeply spiritual, and not just spiritual in some sort of touchy-feely, vague way. No, it's, there are songs that are uh, about Jesus, like, I mean, when love comes to town, wow, that's a great song. And the song's about the Holy Spirit. Do you know that, have you ever heard the song, She Moves in Mysterious Ways? Well, the she there is, is the reference to the female uh, name for the Spirit, Numa, right? So she. All right, anyway, so the song's about the Holy Spirit. But I don't mean that you two are great evangelists because the, the, their songs are somehow designed to get people to pray the sinner's prayer. They're not evangelistic in that sense. It's that they demonstrate the kind of authority that Jesus is referring to here, right? So, I mean, he gives uh, those, Jesus gives the disciples the right, the power 
to plant a flag and say, this right here, this belongs to God. No other spirit may lay, may lay claim to it. Well, it seems to me when, when, when U2 is in an arena filled with tens of thousands of people, or, yeah, they lay claim to that space with authority. And when they do, people's worlds open up. You know, in this memoir I just recently finished, Bono talks about one song in particular, Where the Streets Have No Name, a song which could actually be a reference to the kingdom of God. But, you know, that song, you know, like I said, they have all kinds of songs, and they, their set list may change from night to night, but that song, Bono says they always do that song. It, partly because it has this slow uh, but very distinct beginning, so people know what song's coming when they hear that, little be that beginning. But it, and they start to anticipate what comes out. Oh, they start anticipating the guitar, and then, and then, then the bass kicks in, and then, and then the drums kick in. And, and uh, Bono says, when, when that happens, says, uh, that's the moment God walks into the room. It is a powerful song. Uh, and they play it with authority. What I didn't know is that about 15 years after they released that song, a car company said, you know, that is a powerful song. That would be great in one of our commercials. In fact, it is such a powerful song, they offered you two $23 million to use that song in their commercial. And so the band is sitting there trying to figure out what in the world to do about with this offer. And they're about, they're thinking, you know, we could do a lot of good with that money. Um, and they're about to sign off on it when their producer, he says, you know, you can go ahead and take the deal. But you're going to have to prepare yourself for the consequences of that. When you play that song, it won't be the moment God walks into the room. It'll be, oh, here's that song from that commercial. In other words, another kingdom would lay claim to that song. It would fly under a different flag. And hearing that was not good news to the band. It was not evangel. That was, it was bad news. And the, they refused the offer. Refused to have their authority taken away. That's what it means to do evangelism. To do what you're called to do. And do it with the authority of the kingdom of God. Do it so that when you do, it's like God walks in the room. Now I realize we are not Bono. We are not, you know, we, none of us are in the, one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. In my case, not yet. But, <laughs> so you might find that a bit hard to relate to. I want to say, look. Jesus gave us an example. It's pretty hard to relate to. I can't relate to casting out demons and you know, healing people. 
but we all let Jesus do it. So, you know, the fact that you may not immediately relate to this example, you know, give me a break. But you are right. You are right. What I'm trying to say is, is that doing the work of evangelism is not about learning some method. It's knowing what you are called to do and doing it with authority, the authority of the kingdom, doing it in the name of the kingdom and letting no unclean spirit say otherwise. You know, whether what you do is care for a grieving neighbor or babysit a grandchild or play rock and roll. You know, and that is not, no, that is not easy. It takes some practice. You know, operating under the authority of some other kingdom, it comes much easier. To carry a flag for our fears and insecurities when we do stuff, that, that comes very naturally. That, and, and it is easy to spread that bad news, right? The labors for that work are many. But not this work. It's not clear what it is when Jesus says he gives them authority. It's not clear, I mean, other than that he says they have the authority. It's not clear how he bestows that authority, but we know how we have that authority. It is clear. We're in chapter 9, but by 27 it is very clear how we know we have that authority because we have the cross. That instrument of public torture and death was planted in the, in the ground to be a flag for the empire. But Jesus refused. Even when the kingdoms of this world did their worst, he refused to operate under any other authority than God's authority. Why? For you. So heaven could get into you. in me if we could take that in if we take that in everything changes what we do how we do what we do changes proclaiming the good news is not a thing you do it is the sort by which you do everything it's not about how you get people into heaven. It's how heaven gets into you and through you into the world. It's about refusing to allow any other kingdom to plant its flag in you in what you do because this is how God walks into the room. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.